So on this um, full moon night, this blue moon at the end of January, uh, the, um, a month of our winter retreat has gone by, and um, the uh, <coughs> the first month was a little bit uh, more colourful, uh, unusual for a, a number of us, uh, since there was the hundredth uh, uh, anniversary celebrations for Lumpur Cha's birth uh, that took place in. Uh, Northeast Thailand and Wat Nombopong at our main monastery there. And so I took a, um, a group of about uh, 25 uh, monastics and lay people uh, to attend, take part in those uh, celebrations and uh, got back about uh, a week ago, just under a week ago. So that's still very fresh in my memory and I thought I'd share a few uh, recollections, reflections about those um, those events for everyone. Lumpur uh, Cha was born in June of 1918, and so we're in the 100th year uh, uh, after his birth. Uh, that 100 years will be complete in June, but uh, in the Thai way of reckoning things, they... Uh, so, take the whole year as being so sort of representative of that age. So this is his hundredth year, and that will be complete uh, when his birthday arrives. Though also because of the climate, uh, and having a big gathering in June uh, is a, uh, something that will be a bit of a challenge since uh, it's so hot and steamy at that time of the year. So to gather in January, which is also the anniversary of his passing away, it was made, uh, much more sensible uh, for the community. So the preparations for this event started about three, uh, three or four years ago, and uh, the the centerpiece of uh, these uh, say observances or celebrations were a um, uh, <coughs> a project to construct a, a kind of Ashokan pillar, like a, a tall sandstone pillar in the the village of Bangor, right at the very spot where Lumpur Cha was born in 1918. So <coughs> this is a, a unique monument. Uh, Lumpur, uh, Lumpur Liam, the abbot of Wat Nombapong, uh, it was the, the one who first came up with the idea, and uh, Lumpur Anek was the one who, who, who designed it and helped sort of make it all happen. But uh, he was describing to us how it came about that about five or six years ago, uh, Lumpur Liam said to him, you know, I'm thinking of maybe it would be a good idea to uh, acquire the land in the village of Bangor where Lumpur was born and to build a, a pillar there to mark, uh, to mark the spot as a way of recognizing his uh, 100th anniversary. And Lumpur Naik said at the time, he said, okay, you know, I hear what you say, that's, that's, that's an idea. And then a year or so later, uh, Lumpur Liam raised the subject again and said, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, we're, we're looking into buying land and uh, the, the spot in the village where he was born. What do you think about that? It's a good idea. Well, again, Lumpur Naik said, yeah, I think it yeah, sounds like a good idea. I hear what you say. And then a year later, and then uh, Lumpur Liam says, well, we bought the land and um, so we're, we're, we're thinking about designs and uh, I think you'd be the person to and take care of that. So, what, what do you think? Is that, is that a good idea? And, and then Lumpur Naik said, at that point, I realized it really was a, a project and that uh, I was uh, very happy to be uh, in, uh, involved in it. And he talked about the design. So, in, in India, the original Ashokan pillars have a, a, a lion, a, a lion with uh, sort of four uh, faces at the top of the Ashokan pillar. So, they thought, well, uh, uh, a pillar to mark the birthplace of Lumpur Cha should be somehow unique to uh, uh, to uh, to Thailand and to his birthplace, and so they considered what they might use as a as a form or a way to symbolize uh, Lumpur Cha and uh, his his teaching and uh, the place of his birth, and so they settled on having a uh, a lotus bud, uh, the 
name of the province where Lumpur Chao was born, where not, what Nombopong is, uh, is uh, Ubon, Ubon province. And the word Ubon in Thai comes from the Pali Upala, which is the uh, the word for the blue lotus. So uh, the uh, uh, the name for the province, Ubon province, and the the, um, the capital city, Ubon Rajatani, means that the province of lotuses, or the the town, the name of the of the of the main town, uh, Ubon Rajatani, means the the royal city of lotuses. So they uh, they chose this uh, motif of the lotus bud uh, to be at the, the very top of the the stupa of the of the um, the pillar, and so. Uh, uh, Lumpur Anik was the one who designed it and, and oversaw the construction. So then that actually began about three years ago. So I go to visit Thailand a couple of times a year. So over these last few years, I've slowly seen this uh, this pillar emerging because they uh, they took a single, probably um, 20, 25 meter long column, uh, like a, a sort of square column of of sandstone, and they, they erected that, and then they carved it um, standing up in place, rather than carving it on the ground and then lifting it up, they had it standing, and then carved it into its round and um, finished state while, while it was already standing up, so you could see the whole thing taking shape slowly, piece by piece, over the last few years. So that uh, that became the, the the focal point uh, for the uh, uh, the ceremonies and um, it's a very uh, to my eye extraordinarily beautiful monument so that uh, <coughs> when our group had gathered from from here in England uh, most of the the community of Silatara uh, myself uh, Ajahn Arya Silo went from here Ajahn Congret was already out there and uh, Narindo and Deepako are the um, members of the monks community. Uh, Ajahn uh, Hingsko was already out there. So, and then I invited um, the uh, members of the committee, the, the English Sangha Trust committee that helps to look after the monastery um, administration, um, mainly because uh, a number of the these uh, uh, people who've been helping to support serve the communities for, for decades and decades and never never been to Thailand, never been to Asia before. It was a unique opportunity, both for the, particularly for the nuns community and for the uh, members of the English Sangha Trust to um, come and visit the, uh, be part of this, this celebration and to, to uh, get a sense in a very direct manner for the very roots, the, the origins of this community, to, to uh, breathe the air and walk the, the, uh, the dusty ground of, of Ubon province to see where these teachings came from and also to be part of a uh, this kind of a uh, celebration where you have thousands of, uh, uh, of Cha's, uh disciples gathered together to express their gratitude and, and uh, respect and devotion for him. So it was a very unique and special opportunity. So uh, it was also, I've never been a tour guide before, so that was a bit of an, uh, a risk, but uh, I, I, uh, I'm, not, um, uh, I'm not shy of uh, taking risks from time to time. <laughs> so I sort of jumped in and said, okay, well, we can do it. It was about 25 people altogether. But also, you know, being disciples of Lumpur Cha and uh, our life being based around Dhamma practice, then even though you're, you're um, going on a... Uh, a tour together, or say organizing a group, the very fact that everyone is making the effort to practice Dhamma, to reflect on their feelings and perceptions and likes and dislikes, that very uh, aspect of everyone involved being Dhamma practitioners helps to provide a, a lot of oil in the wheels and uh, gives sense for um, uh, people's uh, readiness to work with their own feelings of comfort or discomfort, their preferences when they things are going the way they like or things are going the, not going the way they like, to be ready to, to work with those mind states rather than uh, getting upset or getting overexcited or getting uh, frightened or worried and so on. So that, uh, uh, as it turned out, the, the whole um, pilgrimage went uh, very smoothly, amazingly, but uh, all credit to uh, many people who helped to um, 
pull all the uh, the, the threads together, and so uh, along with the um, members of the English Sangha Trust and uh, Sangha members, and also uh, Suvira, who's a resident here, who's been looking after the office um, for 17, 18 years at uh, Amravati. Uh, she came along, and also uh, two other women to help be um, uh, attendants and, and helpers for the nuns community, uh, also came along to help out. So as I said, it's about 25 people in our group altogether. The uh, the ceremonies began on the the twelfth of uh, of January, but b before that we had a couple of days spare. So we took the opportunity to you know, first of all have a tour of Wat, Wat Pananachat, which is our uh, sort of home monastery for the Western uh, monastic community in uh, in Ubon. It's about five miles away from the main monastery. So uh, just giving a, a tour of, of Wat Pananachat first of all, and then going over to Wat Bapong to meet Lumpoliem, the abbot, and to visit the the Cheti, uh, the Chetia where Lumpochar's relics are, and uh, to give people a, a sense of well, this is uh, the the place where so many of the the teachings were given, and that you've heard mentioned in uh, many many Dhamma talks. Here is the Kuti where Lumpochar stayed, where. Uh, and the space under the kuti, where he, he again he gave many many teachings, uh, and there's a, a certain chemistry, a kind of magic that uh, comes with actually being in a particular place where uh, things uh, occurred, the actual uh, physical location where people practiced, where they could see where Lumpur Sumato spent his uh, early years of his monastic life. Uh, Many, many stories that, that we've heard of Lumpur, uh, Lumpur Sumedha talking about his struggles as a young monk dealing with heat and dust and um, his feelings of uh, restlessness or anger or jealousy and so forth. And a sense of, oh, it was here. It's on walking this ground in, in, this, uh, in this very forest under these trees surrounded by these very chickens, or at least the, the ancestors of the forest chickens. <laughs> There's still many, many chickens uh, living at Wabapong. Uh, but it was very uh, lovely to be able to, to be uh, taking uh, everyone to uh, visit these uh, significant places uh, of the community. And also during this time to be reflecting on what came forth from the life of Lumpur Cha, this, uh, uh, this one individual who, in himself, he was a, a, an ordinary um, uh, say village boy from from Bangor. He had came from a large farming family. They weren't particularly distinguished. Um, he was, uh, I think, about the the fifth or sixth, maybe seventh child of, of uh, eight or ten children. Um, his um, education was fairly minimal, um, but it was notable in the fact that he chose to go into the monastery at the age of nine. Uh, on his own initiative, he chose to be a, a temple boy, a dequat, and then a novice, and, and spent most of his uh, childhood, his teens, uh, in the in the monastery. And uh, just seeing how the uh, through the uh, the events of his life, through his own interest in in dhamma, through the the unfolding of his own uh, say struggles and difficulties in the human world, dealing with being broken-hearted or grieving his the death of his father and so forth. This, uh, these conditions came together to impel him towards uh, trying to use the, the monastic life to understand the the nature of his mind, the nature of the world, and to get to the the root of suffering. Particularly uh, uh, that he had been, by the time he was about twenty six, twenty seven, he'd been in the monastery. Uh, he'd been a, a monk by that time for six or seven years, and he had. Uh, um, six or seven years as a novice before that, and uh, and yet he was familiar with Buddhist teachings. He was familiar with Pali language, but yet he had very very few tools to deal with his own his own mind, his own feelings. Uh, and particularly when his father passed away, this was a a, a real uh, pivotal point. That uh, the death of his father was was very uh, saddening to him, and he felt a great sense of loss. But he, uh, even though he was a monk and uh, had been in uh, in robes for quite some time, he felt he had no resources to deal with the, the grief uh, of uh, losing his father. 
So that was then a, a, a key moment in his life because he, uh, he realized, here I am a monk, I'm a professional Buddhist, I'm studying these teachings, I'm explaining these teachings to the novices and the new monks in the, in the village monastery, but it's not really doing me any good. I, I'm explaining this stuff, I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, knowledgeable about this stuff, but I don't really know it, it's not really helpful to me, it's not really reaching into my heart, so what's the point? So that was a a, a, a a moment where he decided um, that he was going to leave the, the village monastery and pursue the life of a, a forest monk and to try and find teachers who could really help him to uh, say put the, the teaching into action and to, to use it to really change his mind, to, to see the world, to see his mind, to see his life in a, in a radically different way and to... Uh, not just be explaining the teachings or, or uh, recounting them, but to be uh, embodying the, the, the Dhamma itself and to, uh, say, follow the, the path to its completion, to follow the path to, to its end in full realization. And so when he, he left the, the village monastery and went wandering, he, uh, I think he was about 27 years old by that time, 28, and uh, set off. And so that the uh, the result uh, we have today that uh, here's Amravati Monastery. There's 344 branch monasteries in Thailand and around the world. There's a number being frequently quoted in people's Dhamma talks. <laughs> and uh, at that gathering, uh, along with our little group from here from England, there was about 1,200 other monastics and about 7,000 lay people actually camping out in uh, in Wat Pong. And then many, many other people coming uh, to, uh, say, listen to teachings and practice uh, meditation to visit the monastery during the days. There was uh, dozens and dozens uh, of uh, free food kitchens that were set up to provide uh, food for, for all visitors uh, uh, that were established outside the, the monastery gate that were, uh, say, provided from different branch monasteries, both within Thailand and from around the world. And... Uh, the, um, the 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 recognition that all of this, these thousands of people coming together to to practice the Dhamma and to uh, say to join together in uh, the say uh, meditation, in listening to the teachings, taking the precepts, and rousing that uh, that intention to uh, train the mind, to train the heart to its uh, its full liberation all came forth from that, that one small individual's resolve, uh, one, uh, that one person's effort. And, and Ajahn Chah was not, a, not a, a big, physically he was not very big, he was only about five foot four, um, a small, uh, small guy with a minimal education and not a very distinguished family, but through one person uh, setting that resolve and gathering the resources within their own heart and say, I'm going to uh, put the Buddha's teaching into practice until it reaches its fulfillment. And whatever it takes to do, I'm going to do it. That resolve, that effort, that skill, uh, has resulted in this incredible uh, say, wealth of, um, of goodness, this incredible say, global community uh, that has gathered together at that time. Of course, I'm totally biased. <laughs> My entire adult life has been spent involved as being part of this community ever since I was 21 years old so I, I acknowledge that um, I have a, a biased ad, uh, perception in this but uh, even with an objective eye uh, it's just to, to see that number of people gathered together living uh, harmoniously, living simply, just camping out in the forest getting on with each other, queuing for the toilets, you know, queuing for the food uh, working together, sort of sharing the space together, trying to, uh, say, collaborate in, in a, a, a peaceful way to support each other in practicing Dhamma is an extraordinary uh, thing. It's like a, a uh, you have a, a a town full of full of people, you know, uh, eight thousand, ten thousand people gathered together, like a whole town's worth of people, but you don't need any police. <laughs> you don't need uh, any kind of um, as a uh, uh, protective system other than people's own minds. Everyone's looking out for each other. People are ready to share what they have, 
people are relating to each other very respectfully and uh, and uh, treating each other with a uh, with a, a quality of graciousness and friendliness and uh, unselfishness. So it's a, a really uh, like being in a, a a Buddha land, a kind of a, a holy uh, a holy town for a period of that week. So prior to the the ceremony's beginning, um, uh, we. I also took the opportunity to uh, say take the group to visit some of the uh, notable uh, places of northeast Thailand. So particularly because uh, most of the Sidadara community uh, had gathered together for this pilgrimage, we went to go and pay respects <coughs> the um, the relics of uh, Mechi Gao, who was um, a uh, an, a uh, Eight precept nun who was a disciple of uh, Lumpu Man and uh, Lungta Mahabua and who was uh, recognized uh, as having reached arahantship. And uh, as a young girl, she met uh, Lumpu Man and she was inspired to, to take up the monastic life. Her family did not uh, consent, but uh, he, as a teenager, Lumpu Man gave her a razor and said, Well, keep this till you can have the opportunity to shave your head. <laughs> so she was, uh, I think. Uh, in her late thirties, by the time she finally got uh, the opportunity to leave the household life and, and become a, a, a mechi, but she indeed practiced to the fulfillment of the the path, and so they have this very beautiful uh, stupa that they've uh, has been uh, say built and is uh, say established for her memory and to keep the relics uh, that remain after her cremation. And uh, that's in uh, Muktahan, so to the north of Ubon. So that was uh, uh, we went to uh, um, to pay respects there. O on the way that morning, we had uh, also stopped at uh, Wat Tamsang Pet, which is a place where Lumpur Sumedho spent uh, a number of years in his uh, in his early uh, life as a, a bhikkhu, and uh, again appears in, in quite a number of his Dhamma talks. Uh, Tamsang Pet is the uh, the monastery on the top of the hill that where they, uh, uh, the whole Sangha uh, spent uh, uh, many, many weeks, months uh, building a road uh, up to the top of the mountain. And that, uh, if you've listened to Lumbo Sumedho's Dhamma talks about how he was um, say, uh, say, uh, <coughs> challenged at the uh, the, the uh, if, uh, the uh, sort of physical difficulties of being involved in rock breaking and road building, and so uh, he had uh, asked Sajjan Shah if he, uh, he thought because he got so hot and sweaty and, and distressed and his mind was so confused with all of the physical work, it would be much more wholesome, much more beneficial if he practiced meditation and uh, did formal practice while everyone else was building the road. So that uh, probably most of you are familiar with those stories. And how, when uh, when the young uh, Bhikkhu Sumato made this request, that Lumpur Chow said, "That's fine, Sumato. Yes, you're a very serious practitioner, but I better let the rest of the sangha know that uh, I'm giving you permission." So, Lumpur Chow kind of uh, made a big announcement to the whole sangha, just to kind of say, "Well, you know, I know we're all out here to build this road, and uh, everyone's working really hard and uh, breaking rocks and uh, and uh, carrying gravel and so forth, but uh, I want to let you all know Sumato is a really serious practitioner, so while we build the road, he's going to practice meditation. And I don't want any of you to have any negative thoughts about him. He's got my permission, and so uh, 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 just so that everyone is informed that, that he, he has uh, my complete approval to be sitting quietly by himself while we do all the work for hours and hours a day. So uh, he kind of camped it up. <laughs> Handed up to uh, to the uh, the, uh, the sort of fullest possible extent. So the result was that uh, while the young Bhikkhu Sumedho was sitting trying to meditate, hearing the sounds of the road building going off in the distance, he was uh, realizing that he, his sort of selfish concerns and his uh, narrow focus of vision was was uh, what he'd been sort of deluded by, or he, his. Uh, his attention had been seduced by, and so after two or three days of trying to sit by himself and not really being able to concentrate and realizing, you know, Sumedho, you're an idiot. <laughs> Why did you just join in the rope building and just do what everyone else is doing? Why is your practice so precious? You know, if Lumpur Cha and all the others, the, the other monks that you uh, 
have so much respect for if they can all be out there breaking rocks and carrying gravel and doing all the work why can't you so after two or three days of, of trying to meditate by himself then he, he he left that behind and joined in with all the the rock breaking and, uh, and road building with uh, much more peace of mind and, and happiness so that was Tham Sang Pet Lumpur uh, 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 as uh, you might know Lumpur Cha also um, had been uh, uh, say offered the place by a, a wealthy supporter they already had a, a, a branch monastery down at the bottom of the hill but she said if you can build a, if you can find a way to build a road I'll, I'll uh, up to the top of the hill I'll build you a, a, a sala and a monastery on top of the hill as well so the Lumpur had figured out a way to get the uh, a, a track to get the, the road up to the top and so uh, the monastery of Tamsang Pet on the top of the hill became the kind of crown jewel of the branch monasteries. Uh, uh, and there's very, very few hills in, in northeast Thailand. And uh, so this was one place where you could get up in the, the breezes and have a bit of fresh air. So the very last rains retreat that Lumpur Cha spent when his health was, where he could still walk and talk and teach, was at Tamsang Pet. He realized his health was failing. Uh, but he he left Wat Bapong and went and spent the rains retreat of 1984 up at Tham So the very last Dhamma talks that he gave uh, that are recorded, and particularly a, a talk called Why Are We Here, that was given at, at Tham Pet. And the last photographs of him in a healthy state were also taken there at Tham uh, Pet. And it was there that his health really started to, to collapse uh, towards the end of that that Vasa, that rains retreat in 1984. So these, uh, again, this is a, a place of great historical significance. People could visit. The road is now very, very, it's kind of a tarmac road. You'd never know it was much struggle to, to create it. You just sort of whoosh, you know, drive up to the top of the hill very easily. But again, it's a, it's there in our sort of group psyche, our group mind, and, and features in so many stories of... Uh, the community and its history, and so it was very lovely to be able to take um, uh, people there to visit the the cave. Uh, uh, the monastery is named after. It's called the Cave of Diamond Light. After a um, seeing Gumpucha uh, when he visited there, saw a a, um, uh, a kind of light coming down from the sky, like a, a meteor or some kind that, that came down from the sky and landed uh, in that spot. So before it was known as the uh, Tom, uh, the the monk's cave, uh, Tom Pratt, but then afterwards it got known as the cave of diamond light because of this this bright light that came down from the sky and landed uh, in that place. To, so it was been known as Tom Sung Pet ever since. During the 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 twelve the the period from the twelfth to the seventeenth of um, uh, January, as I said, the things began with a, a dedication ceremony for the the pillar, and um, that was in Bangor village. So that's about a mile or so, a mile and a half from Wat Bapong Forest. So that uh, that was a, a smaller ceremony. You couldn't really get thousands and thousands of people in Bangor village, uh, uh, so it was just a, a smaller ceremony with a, a number of the. Uh, members of the monastic community gathered for that, and um, the uh, the weather during this time was, uh, I would say, absolutely perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. And the beautiful, clear blue sky. So the the photographs of that dedication ceremony had the, this uh, tall sandstone pillar against this uh, perfect blue sky. Of course, they uh, they've got lots of drones flying nowadays, taking pictures. So you've got lots of airborne photographs as well as <laughs> as ground level ones uh, uh, but it was very very uh, lovely to be part of that and to and this the sheer physical beauty of the the uh, the pillar and also reflecting that this is where Yilam Buchar was born is a, a powerful sense and also the reflection on impermanence you know this uh, this pillar has now been erected some of those uh, Ashokan pillars in India uh, they're still standing after more than 2,000 years, but uh, and who knows what the fate of this particular pillar will be. Maybe um, Northeast Thailand will, will sort of be uh, uh, see, 
uh, a Buddhist land for hundreds of, of years, uh, or maybe it won't. Maybe it'll it'll become a war zone, and uh, the pillar will be shot down by a missile or blown up. Uh, maybe it'll be there for five thousand years. You know, none of us uh, none of us can really know, but uh, <coughs> certainly for now, the, the pillar is a is a very beautiful shrine. And all around it, they, uh, along with the, the, the pillar at the very center, the uh, area of the, um, where the house was uh, established, where Lumpur Chao was born, they have, they've made these uh, similar stone reliefs in, carved with uh, scenes from Lumpur Chao's life as a little child and his, uh, as a teenager and then going into monastic life. Um, his early years as a, as a monk, tra uh, traveling and, and studying with his teachers, Lumpur Kinneri, Lumpur Tongrat, and then meeting Lumpur Man, and then establishing Wat Bapong, uh, going to the west, so you've got Chithurst houses there, and, uh, um, the, uh, and then finally Lumpur's uh, passing away and, the, uh, and his funeral. So that's all is sort of carved in these very, very fine stone reliefs uh, around the, uh, the sort of perimeter of the area where the, the pillar is established. So all of you who have an opportunity to, to visit there one day, or at least see um, uh, see photographs, you'll be able to uh, say uh, get to, to know some of those those images, and the, we'll recognize some of the uh, the stories that uh, from Lumpur own teachings that he's often recounted in. His own Dhamma talks and his uh, the uh, descriptions of the events of his own life and things that were important to him. So from the, that evening, then the, they established a routine of uh, uh, Dhamma practice in Wat Bapong. So some of the, the members of our group, most of the monastics, we all stayed over at Wat Pananachat, as I said, about five miles away. Some of the lay people stayed uh, camping out in the forest at Wabapong. Uh, others stayed in a hotel nearby, according to people's needs. The the morning bell went at 2:45 in the morning, as it does in uh, in uh, Wabapong. Morning chanting at 3:30. So the people who are staying there, there's a, a fairly rigorous routine of, of meditation, and then three dhamma talks during the day. One at I think uh, eight in the morning, and then. One, uh, one in the afternoon and then at uh, seven in the evening, uh, and then with morning chanting, evening chanting, meditation through the day as well. So there was a, a fairly solid routine of, uh, of teachings and practice through that time. And uh, Lumpur Liam, because there were so many people had gathered from around the world, it was not just our group from, from Britain, but also there was groups from the USA, from Australia, from Malaysia, from India, uh, uh, from China, I think, also as well, so that uh, it was a, quite an international crew. So Lumpur Liam had the idea to have uh, a fairly equal number of Dhamma talks, some in Thai, some in foreign languages. So uh, on the first evening, Lumpur Liam spoke to open the event, and then he invited uh, me to speak. I was, I think, only mainly because I was the only foreign Ajahn who'd showed up for the first evening. <laughs> so, so I was on that time. Um, First evening slot, but there were there were also talks in in uh, Chinese. Uh, Jen Mahayana gave a talk in Chinese. Uh, <coughs> there was a uh, talk in German. Ajahn Chandapala was persuaded to give a talk in Italian. Uh, so that it was a, a very multilingual event, and um, uh, some people questioned the volume's wisdom in that. Thinking, well, there's there's seven thousand people, uh, Thai people. <laughs> You know, six Italians or you know twenty Germans, and you know, is it really worthwhile? But also the whole thing was being live, uh, sort of webcast, so it was being broadcast over the over the net during the time that the talks were being given. So it wasn't just the people who were physically there, but it was also ac accessible by people all over the planet. So that uh, I feel it was uh, quite visionary, really, of, uh, of uh, Lumpoli, in my uh, my opinion. I thought it was. Uh, a, a, a very um, beautiful gesture uh, uh, repre representing the fact that uh, Lumpur Cha's 
community it's, it's a global community and Thai language is not the the only language and English isn't the only foreign language but uh, he has disciples on uh, on uh, most continents and so it was a way of uh, recognizing acknowledging that sense of global presence and even if there's only a handful of people that sitting in the hall that can understand Chinese or Italian or German or or French or uh, uh, various languages that uh, we spoke in. Uh, it was a, a way of also <coughs> reminding the the Thai community that uh, it's Thailand is not the only is not the only uh, uh, significant place, but it, it's uh, the the, uh, the world is bigger than just Ubon Province. It's bigger than Thailand, and that Gompochar's message is a, a universal message that's touched the lives benefited people uh, all around the, the planet or throughout the, the the human realm so the culmination of the ceremonies was a uh, uh, circumambulation they have the, every year they have uh, on the Lumpocha's death anniversary they have a, a what they call a VNTN a circumambulation so that um, everybody gathers together around the uh, the main hall and then um, picking up offerings of candles, flowers, and incense, then you have a grand procession out from the the sala, the, the main gathering hall, meeting hall, uh, through the, the pathways of the monastery, um, down to the, the chetia, the stupa where Lumpucha's relics are, and then walking all together, thousands and thousands of, uh, of people, uh, all in a procession along. So it's very beautiful and moving uh, to be gathered together silently, um, of course, you, it's not so silent now because you've got the drones flying above you, kind of <laughs> being tracked by these large insects uh, that uh, following your, your every move. But uh, you get used to that after a while. And uh, <clears throat> and so that was that was the sort of the finale of the um, of the gathering. And then that evening, then there was the dhamma talks uh, uh, through the night up until the up until dawn. So people are in, in, invited to sit, and the Dhamma talk is supposed to be half an hour long, and uh, 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 say so that would carry on through through the whole night time, through till through till dawn. So, in, in terms of uh, reflecting on this, or, or how uh, it's uh, so meaningful, it, it's it very much focused around uh, Lompocha as a person, you know, his life, his teachings, his stories, and. Um, very much uh, as uh, Lumpucha's life, his his being as a, an object of devotion, but uh, also what was uh, say coming through the the teachings and also and the reflections of various different people offering their their perspectives was uh, that the the if one reveres Lumpucha just as a person or attaches to the personal qualities, that's in a sense not not seeing the whole picture. And that what is uh, most powerful, and certainly for myself, what is most powerful uh, and the most the greatest benefit of of uh, say the the act of reverence or devotion for a teacher is that you you revere the person, you you honor the person because they embody that which is beyond the personal. So if we just fixate upon the, the stories of his life or his personal qualities and just Attached to that, or, or or grasp that, then in a sense it's only uh, half the picture. It's a, it's a limited view, and it it creates a a sense of a, of limitation, a, a bond. But uh, the spirit of the of practicing Buddha Dhamma, and that the Buddha himself spoke of many times, and and encouraged, said that the uh, the the best way of expressing the devotion to the teacher. Uh, is to practice the Eightfold Path, to uh, to awaken to the Dhamma itself. That's the most powerful and beautiful gesture of devotion. Just like at his own Parinibbana, the end of the Buddha's life, uh, when he was lying down uh, under the sala trees, that so these trees in the forest of Kusinara had broken out into, uh, burst into flower, even though it wasn't their season for flowering. Uh, the trees had broken out in bloom. It was a full moon night, and the the um, 
the air was filled with the sound of celestial musicians, the Gandhavas, uh, music was filling the air, and the uh, beautiful fragrances of celestial blossoms, and Mandarava flowers were raining down from the Tavatinsa heaven, and Ananda, in his usual way, saying, this is amazing, this is incredible, you know, the, the Gandhavas are playing, the, the, uh, the celestial flowers are raining down, um, the, the sala trees have burst into bloom even though it's not their season. This is amazing, this is incredible. Never before has the Tathagata been so revered, so honored, so uh, such kind of um, devotion and, and uh, such uh, wonderful uh, the gestures of, of reverence. Never before has, uh, has the Tathagata been revered and honored and, and respected in, in such a way. And the Buddha said, "Even so, Ananda. Even so, the the uh, the this is uh, remarkable and uh, beautiful, and the Tathagata has never been honoured in this way before. But if a disciple really wants to honour the, the Tathagata, then they will practice the Eightfold Path. <coughs> That's the way that the Buddha is is most fully and completely honoured, is through practicing the path itself. So that." Uh, Yes, this what's called amisa puja, or the, or the material offerings, they have their own power, their own beauty. And, and like for these events of Lumpochas, those incredible, amazing flower arrangements, and they produce these beautiful uh, books, a pictorial biography of Lumpochas' life, and Ashin Jayasaro's 800-page narrative biography of Lumpochas' life. Uh, these kind of wonderful, uh, comprehensive, beautiful offerings. And, but the way uh, I would suggest that we most fully and completely honor the teacher is not to attach to the person, uh, but rather to use the, the life uh, of uh, Lumpur Cha as an example, as an, an encouragement to, to wake up and to, to see beyond the personal, to, to see beyond this life, this body, to, to see beyond the habits of, of self-view that say, I'm a man or I'm a woman, I'm Italian or French or English or American or Thai or I'm old or young, tall or short. That uh, the uh, the real honouring uh, of uh, of the teacher is to do what the teacher encourages, <laughs> to to follow the path, not just to say offer the teacher flowers and candles and incense and and uh, words of of uh, the um, of respect. That's part of it, but what is really uh, Say the most uh, powerful and appreciated gesture of respect is to do as the teacher instructs, to to see beyond the the limits of the of perception, cons conventional form, the, beyond the conventional realities of of, uh, of time and space, uh, the the persona, to let go of self-view. So then the the life uh, uh, of a great teacher like Lumpur Cha, uh, you, 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 there's the, the person is there, but the, the power of the person and their message is to help the mind to awaken to that which is beyond the personal, that which is unborn, unaging, unailing, undying, that which is beyond time, akaliko, outside of time, timeless, which is, uh, say, the... Uh, the dimension of reality, the Dhamma, which is the uh, the liberating quality of reality itself, the, the very foundation uh, of Dhamma itself, the foundation of reality itself, Sanditiko, Akaliko, Ehipasiko, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. This is reflected in um, the the uh, the qualities of, of Dhamma Vinaya, and um, it's kind of interesting how you build a pillar in the spot where Lumpur was born. You know, okay, Lumpur Cha was born at this spot. You have this this uh, thirty foot high, forty foot high sandstone pillar. It was here. This was the spot where he was born, and uh, and this is. And it was a hundred years ago. One hundred years you know, have gone by since that, since he was born. And so you have the place, you have the time. But uh, in Lumpur Cha's own words, uh, when somebody came and asked him, uh, Wapapong, uh, 
uh, how old are you? Where do you, uh, do you live here all the time? He famously said, I don't have any age. I don't live anywhere. And uh, to me, it was one of the most powerful teachings that uh, he gave. So these, to say, I have no age, you know, as a Buddhist monk, you're not supposed to tell lies. You, <laughs> you can't, you can't uh, consciously speak a falsehood. So what did he mean when he said, I have no age? Uh, uh, what did he mean when he said, I don't live anywhere? Mami ayu, mami ti, I don't have a place, I don't have an age. Uh, what he, he's saying, I feel, is uh, that in that moment he's speaking with the voice of the Dhamma itself. He's, the Dhamma is a kaliko, it's ageless, timeless. In his essence, the mind is not a person, the mind doesn't have an age. The bodies have ages, you know, the, uh, but the, the mind doesn't really have an age. In its essence, the mind is is uh, timeless. The Dhamma is timeless. So that when he, uh, when Lumpur Cha says, uh, you know, yes, he was born in 1918, but also, my me are you? I don't have an age. That there is that dimension of of being, that dimension of the mind, which is unborn, which is unaging, which is undying, which is outside of the, the, the realm of time and birth and death. Similarly, uh, where, where do you live? He said, well, you know, I don't live anywhere. <laughs> they, he's not saying that he doesn't have a kuti and doesn't usually, uh, the body doesn't usually stay at Wabapong, but he's saying that the, the mind is not, in its essence, established anywhere. That, um, that sense of location or having a place or being somewhere is an aspect of the conditioned realm, the realm of form and time. But there's that aspect of, of being which is uh, unlocated, which doesn't, uh, is not confined by the qualities of three-dimensional space and the, the, world, the realm of, of form. So we have these two aspects, that yes, there's this large pillar at this spot, you know, 100 years ago, Lumpur Chao was born here, <laughs> saying there's an age, a hundred years, there's a place right here, this spot. So that uh, on the on the level of, of conventional reality, there's a, he has a place, he has an age. But on the level of, of ultimate reality, then he has no place, no, no age, no, uh, not born, not dying. And uh, this can be confusing you know, uh, to, a, to the rational mind. But just as... Uh, when Lumpur uh, Sumato was a, a young bhikkhu, one day uh, Lumpur Chao said to him, Sumato, you must be confused. And he kind of, he, he realized Lumpur was, uh, was uh, warming up to a teaching, he wasn't quite sure what, and he said, um, uh, you know, why, why is that Lumpur? Well, he said, uh, well, you're probably confused because uh, the Dhamma is all about letting go. Uh, non-attachment, letting go, and the vinaya is all about holding on. So this is uh, this can easily be confusing, and so he thought, yeah, well, actually, now you come to mention it, that is confusing, because <laughs> the, the vinaya, the teaching of the monastic discipline, is do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's very, very detailed and, and precise about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and the right way of doing things, the wrong way of doing things. And yet the, the Dhamma is all about letting go, non-attachment, non-identification. Uh, and so he thought that Lumpur Cha was warming up to kind of explain in detail how those things uh, functioned in relationship to each other. But uh, Lumpur, uh, Lumpur Cha's uh, comment was simply, well, when you figure that out, how they work together, you'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, you, you have to work it out for yourself, Sumato. Rather than giving him a, a sort of the the, uh, the answer to the puzzle, he said, "Yeah, you you figure it out. Uh, if you keep practicing, you'll uh, you'll get there eventually." So it's a puzzle, it's a conundrum. You know, the Dhamma, the Buddha talked about his own teaching as the Dhamma Vinaya, as the, the the Dhamma and the discipline. There's the transcendent aspect, and then there's the the, the mundane aspect. There's the the uh, the, the lokya, the worldly, and the lokutra, the, the transcendent. And that they, they work together, they're different aspects of the same reality. So to practice the, the, the Buddha's path is to practice the Dhamma Vinaya that respects 
both the worldly and the, the transcendent, that which is of the world and that which is beyond the world. If you focus too much on the worldly, then the, 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 um, the quality of liberation is not, uh, is not realized, is not manifested, is not embodied. If you try and focus too much on the, uh, on the transcendent, then you find yourself creating all kinds of confusion and conflict and difficulty on the, the worldly plane. So that you, you st stop looking after your body, or taking care of your health, or you find yourself you know, irritating and conflicting with with people and causing all kinds of struggle and upset. So the the practice of the Buddha's way is very much dhamma and vinaya. It's uh, vijja and charana. There's the quality of awareness, wisdom, and the quality of conduct. They they work together. So that. Uh, uh, Yes, you have a pillar that says this spot, this is where you know, this being, uh, Lumpur Cha, was born a hundred years ago in this, this place uh, at this time. But yet, the, the other aspect of it is that uh, nobody was born, nobody died, and the, the mind in its essence is not established anywhere. Awareness does not really apply to the, the mind on the most uh, fundamental, most... Uh, uh, real level, so that uh, <clears throat> when those are both held together, then they when they work together, when they are understood as different aspects of the same reality, then you, it's fine to have a, a spot, a large stone pillar that will last for thousands of years, you know, marking a place. It's not like saying that's not the real Ajahn Chah. <laughs> it's like it's like it's uh, it is marking a spot. And it is marking a, a, an event, but it's also uh, encouraging us to to see beyond that. Just as the the lotus uh, flower itself, the Buddha used that as an image. It has its roots in the mud, down in the in in the dark, fertile mud at the bottom of the pond. But the the lotus flower uh, rises above the water and then blossoms in the the sunlight. That that is uh, this is the image of. Uh, of uh, enlightenment, so there's uh, our lives have their their roots in this body, in this this personality, in in eating and breathing and being part of the human family, but the uh, the fulfillment of the human condition is to awaken to that which is beyond the personal, beyond the human, beyond time and space and individuality, that uh, uh, is uh, embodied in that image of the, the lotus opening to the sun. That, uh, Rises uh, out of the mud and uh, into the into the open air and opens to the uh, to uh, to the sun uh, as a, a beautiful flower uh, and that's its uh, that's its fulfillment. But when we uh, we see things in this way, then we can recognize the value of these kind of acts of of devotion, of coming together, having a, a pilgrimage, having a, these kind of celebrations. In themselves, they're just events. They're just um, collections of flowers put together, or, or people walking around in a, in a circle together. They they're not liberating or, or noble in their own right, but their value, their beauty, their power uh, uh, is resides in their ability to help uh, the heart to awaken to that which is beyond the realm of, of form and time and space. To uh, say, encourage the heart to awakening to its own reality, to knowing its own nature, and uh, yeah, embodying the true qualities of, of, of freedom, of, uh, of realization, of, uh, of liberation. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening. <laughs>